All right, everybody. So we're jumping right into this. Um, we have my attorney and friend Mauricio here with us. Um, we were recording and we just started talking and we didn't obviously want to end it or anything. So we just, we just kept going, which we're going to jump right into it. It began with health issues that you've had and on us and how you stopped being able to work, but how you were building your firm. We go into uh, you know the legalities and how to make decisions and there's a whole bunch of stuff we go into uh, but we thought we better do an intro because we didn't we just went we just started off we were going and it was recorded so we're keeping it so everybody enjoy thanks for being here man 2018 uh, July 4th yeah so I'll never forget the date because of July 4th uh, I had surgery about probably I don't, I don't remember like three or four days before that it was a very routine uh, arthroscopic and uh, it was just resection of my intestines so cut the intestines yep. resection whatever and then July 4th um, they were so I guess the words distilled ex ex basically stretched yeah. that the staples didn't hold and so the intestine just ruptured ruptured so all that gunk just yep. went in there so they had to clean out and I was in out. so much freaking pain that night and so I'm like I'm usually in pretty nice guy right and I'm, yeah. and this, I'm, I'm, I'm calling the nurse and the nurse is like oh it's gas I'm like whatever and I'm like yeah. dude give me the, I'm a curse I would yeah. never curse. I'm like give me the effing morphine yeah. I, I was like mayday it was yes. brutal and then they gave me the morphine that worked and then the doctor came in like it was their own thing and he's like yeah something's going on so they rolled me into surgery and then they just yep. slid it open and it took three surgeries to get it all cleaned out Jeez. so now I got a nice little not, no arthroscopic anymore but um, no that was rough man it was like a good it was a solid five weeks in the hospital yeah which is usually bad yeah but you know <laughs> compared to what and then i spent the next six months in and out like i literally finally left the hospital went to stay with my dad actually was a doctor for two weeks finally got to my house and then literally like that night i had a fever and i was throwing up so i had to go back i just kept getting infections yep. after infections oh so yeah like in and out of the hospital yep. the whole time right absolutely so, and then and then i you know i had some like ostomy bag shit going on and then i finally got that removed on my birthday and christmas so I spent Christmas in the hospital, which I've never done before, but I'm literally in the hospital, you know, Jeez. wired up, right? IVs, and I'm like on my laptop getting stuff done. I had somebody I was trying to outsource stuff, but it's still, I was a one-man show. Oh, So just dude, imagine, yeah. everybody was really cool, right? But everybody still. was like, hey, I understand, but when you're closing a multi-million dollar deal, yeah. it's like- It's gotta get done. So that was like, I was like, I can't do that again. Like if yeah. that ever happens again, I've gotta be in a position where, you know, yep. things are taken care of. I can't be a single point failure. Yep. I got to build a team. I got to build a self-sustaining company. I got to do yep. everything so that if it ever happens again, because my income went down to zero. Yeah. Zero. Yep. Right. Nothing. A um, couple of things at the end kind of like. So it was know, all predicated on you working. It was all predicated on me working. And so that was when I was like, I got to make a shift here. Yeah. It took me a little bit to get back into full swing down to like 113 pounds. That's how yeah. I Because I was literally right out of a concentration camp. I was Jeez. literally bones and, you know, yeah. you, you know how it is. And then I went from 113 to like 220 over the pan yeah. of about a year. Right? It's not like I'm eating. It's not like I'm trying to get it back down. But it's kind of fun to watch social media because you can see all the posts from back then and you can see how you were. Yeah. Because I was about 120 for a while. Like I was doing events at 120 uh -huh. pounds. And so okay. my clothes are big and I can't yep. fit anything. And then slowly, I think it was an infection that they found and cleared. And then I just started gaining like 130, 140 150 is probably a good weight for me, and then 160, 190, 200, yeah. and whatever. And so, but uh, man, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. No. Um, but then I heard your story, and I'm like, man, mine was like a walk in the park. So, um, but compared <laughs> yeah. to everybody else, man, it was, you know. Dude, they, that's, well, and the thing is funny because a lot of times it's not even the thing, 
right? It's all the hospital. It's all the everything else that comes with it. It's just like, it's a whole, it doesn't end. Yeah, it and just the, keeps going. And then my little one wasn't even two, right? So she was like, you know, just under two. She turned two while, while I was, um, while I was in this whole thing. And so, you know, my wife's got a, what was it? Like a four-year-old and a two-year-old, you know, luckily her parents were, were close. So, you know, yeah. she had a lot of support, but you know, we're in, for those of you not in LA, South Orange County, which is almost San Diego. And then I was at USC medical, which is downtown LA. So that's like with traffic, yeah, LA traffic, it's like a two hour. Yes. So when Heidi would come to see me two hours up with yeah. the kids, two hours back, it was a huge yeah, or do. nightmare for them too. So, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, man. And then I got addicted to the painkillers. Cause then they gave me yep. painkillers, Norco, yep. which didn't do anything. It wasn't like a euphoric thing, but it would make me normal. Like I would be just down, yes. no energy. I'd pop this pill every six hours and I'd be normal. Yep. And then I couldn't wean off. I mean, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's 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 like heroin. It's yeah. like it's uh, it's um, uh, what's the word called? It's um, oh, what's the pandemic? The epidemic we have on this thing? It's uh, opioid. It's an oh, opioid. It's yeah, an op- yeah. It's an opioid. Well, and it's crazy too because the most addictive ones I found are not the ones that, like a, a lot of people, I think think that the opioids are. It's about like getting high and that's why you can't stop when actually that's not like, so I'm obviously on pain meds and everything. And it was one of the things that were just like, Hey, it's like you are addicted. If you're on it, you are because you need to have it right. Not just for the pain, everything else. So it's just, you realize that it's, you're changing the chemistry of your body and that bot your body. Now the chemistry is dependent on that chemical, right? Because you're changing the chemistry to help you. So, but once you do it now getting off of it, it's it's in the most powerful ones were the ones that don't have any effect on like i think what people might think of as like a high things like that like i'm on methadone which is a tier one drug it's a very you know but it's just normal like you said it's just normal but if you're not on it you're not only not normal it is it's your body can't live without it you can't live without it and then for me and and i think it's the same thing and i've never done heroin or anything of that but i can only if it's anywhere near what i was going through if i i try to wean off of it try to get off of it and it's literally a physical reaction your body is craving the drug that you have these pains it's like almost like it's not even a pain like an acute pain it's like it's a almost like a tingling and it's like you can tell the body is starving yes for that drug and and you just can't do it it's like it's, it's a pain that you just so you just you have to keep taking it i ended up voluntarily checking in for rehab yeah. i'm like i took a week that was like a hotel i was yeah, i mean yeah, it was, yeah, it was, yeah. i would go in but, it's a hotel but that was hanging out with all of the you know the the heroin addicts who were yeah. there and you know i didn't have to do the meetings it was all private and stuff yes. so it was like hotel I yeah, worked, yeah whatever but they started weaning me off they put me on so i forget the name of this other stuff but they put you on something that's a little bit less you know addicting and so it yep. wasn't as bad but then i had a hard time getting off weaning off that other drug which was less yes. of a drug and then finally, I just couldn't get a hold of the doctor for a, a refill on my prescriptions. It was like one night of just a brutal withdrawal, yeah. and then I, I got over it. So I was, I was glad to get over it. But that's that's no fun. No, it's and, it's not. And two, like you know, anyone listening, don't like that is nothing to be ashamed of if you're on opioids and you can't get off. That's actually why. That's how they're made. So it's actually they're doing their job, and so you you do. You just need to like check yourself in, get it. It's one one of the things you know. Even with with mine, first of all, we. No, there was no way I was getting out of that without, I mean, they had me on one time. I was on fentanyl, methadone. I mean, it was everything under the sun. Like, and they couldn't stop the pain. And they, they told my wife even, they were like, my wife's like, you need to give him more because he's in such pain. I couldn't speak, right? You know, and I was, 
it was it was bad and they're like if we give him anymore we're going to kill him if we gave you what he was on you would die immediately we would immediately kill you right it's just they could give me you know and so it's it's one of those things that it's when this medical stuff what they have to do to save you also though has these all this other consequences and so it's okay it's just that's how it works and so you got to be uh, real about it. And I think a lot of people will start to feel ashamed and things about that. And that's when you get in trouble because then you don't want to talk about it. And then you don't want to tell people about it because you think that you should be either strong enough or, and you're Mm -hmm. like, that's not what these drugs are designed to do. It's overpowering. It's such a potent craving that it's not just like, Oh, I'm hungry. No, it's it's literally changing the way your body works. So you can not feel certain things and you can do. And, it, that's a that's a big change. It's hard, man. It sucks. It's, I'm glad you real, got through. Yeah, that. I did. It was great. And actually, the first time I tried to check in, I was on you know I, I was getting fed through tubes at some point, so I was like walking around with these things sticking out of my body, and so they wouldn't check me into the rehab the first time I tried. Yeah. So the first time I tried, I was like, oh no, you've got stuff sticking out of your body because you still were getting a feeding tube down because I couldn't I couldn't keep food down. Yeah. So I was starving and I could just couldn't eat. Like my body was rejecting the food even though I was hungry and I wanted to eat. I just couldn't, and it was it was. It was pretty bad. I mean, it's like, you know, at some point I was like, is this it? It's like, is yeah. this the rest of my life? And that yeah. was a really tough, you know, like if, if this is the, the rest of my life, it's going to really suck. Yeah. Um, but um, luckily they, I think a lot of that had to do with a specific infection. So once they cleaned it out, got that, and that's when I started recovering. But man, I how many like, times did they have to clean it? So they cut you open. So I ended up having like 10 separate procedures in that little span of probably six months. But the main one was, so I had the arthroscopic, which is the original, and then I had three full on Slice so open, go in, and it then ruptured was, and went everywhere. Everyone has to go in and inside. they clean up, and then a week later they do a cat scan. They do a, mm-hmm. I think it's a cat scan or an MRI, whatever. And uh, and then like, nope, we didn't, we got it, we didn't get it all. So we go back in, slice through the same, you know, the same thing. Go do it a second time, and then you think you're done, and then they're like, then you get an one infection, last, yeah. And then one more time, so it went third time, and uh, and then yeah, then you go home and you get the infection, or I couldn't. I, a lot of times where I got dehydrated. Because I was on a, you know, I was on an IV for fluids, which was fine. But then when they took that out, I just couldn't drink enough, and I would just get literally dehydrated to the point I had to go to the urgency, and the, uh, and they would just put a couple of saline bags, and I'd feel great. But it's it's amazing what dehydration can do to your body. You don't think of it, but you would just. I was literally just I could barely speak. Yeah. So, but anyway, you know, I think you know, I, as crazy as this sounds, I I do feel like that whole experience was kind of a like a blessing in disguise. Like it made me do things that I wouldn't have done had I, had I not done that. And so, you know, what I have now and the people I've met and the thing, thing I have in my life now, I wouldn't have had if I'd, I'd be right now, I'd be a solopreneur, you know, just running the rat race. Like I was, you know, back in six years ago or five years ago. So it's hard to understand, but the, we don't have good without bad. First of all, that's not, that's impossible. That doesn't exist. Okay. Anything that is good, you obviously have a counteraction. That's why things like, communism it don't it can't work you just can't have good and get rid of the bad right freedom means you have the freedom to do bad things a lot of people don't think anybody should have freedom to do anything bad first of all the problem with that is that is your perception on what is good and bad so people should have the rights to do things that probably aren't good now obviously not to somebody else or harm somebody or take away their rights but you got to have the ability and when you're dealing with even like we talk about investing and when you're dealing with risk and a lot of people view it as linear because we live in a society that is very much um, changed the way that we perceive our surroundings. Like it, 
talk about all the time how when you're investing, we think people ask, okay, so what should I pay for this? And it's such a funny uh, funny thing because I'm like, do you mean what is the value? And we've been trained though that that's the price. This is what I pay. It's very standard. I get this. I get paid every two weeks. This is how it works. Everything is packaged. Everything's trimmed. Everything's the same way. It's all easy. It's all easy to understand. We we take it. We understand it. You don't have to see how the sausage is made. You get your benefits. You have your things. You have your vacation. You have. It's all formatted and packaged and, and given, right? And everything's very clear. This is how it works. And But that's not actually how the world works. So when you move behind the scenes in business and the actual, I think of it as literally a veil. Like when you move to the other side of that veil, you see how the sausage is made. But when you're on the other side of that veil and you're getting that paycheck and everything is just trimmed and here's your milk and everything, people freak out when that side goes not normal, right? All of a sudden, costs change rapidly, inflation, everything else, and people lose their mind because the standard, the predictable, the served up way that it is has now changed. But in the investing, entrepreneurship, and creation, it's not how it works. Behind the curtain, revenue goes up and down all the time. There's always risk there. There's, you know, the negative, there's the good, but the upside's great, but the downside's also. And I think we're just so trained to have things very, very simple. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, being on the other side now, right? I mean, I started as a W, I had a W 2 job right out of, you know, I'm a lawyer, so I went out of law school, went to work for a law firm, and I was that W 2 employee and had that W 2 yeah. mentality. But once you cross that line, I mean, I started my firm, you know, almost 20 years ago and, you know, I consider myself obviously an entrepreneur. Um, it's, it's fascinating that you, you surround yourself with other like-minded people. So everybody in my circle, I just, I just assume this yeah. is the way it is this now is the because way you forget thinks, because that's how exactly. everybody thinks. Yeah. And then suddenly you get, you start talking to somebody who's not in that world and you're trying tell them or, or not tell them, but, but talking about things that yes. are certainly different. And you just realize like they, they, it's just a completely different mindset. They completely, completely they, different. Even they don't understand it. It doesn't even make sense. And it's in two, there's even, I mean, we have laws that are specifically designed around I mean, what we can say and what you can't say. We have accreditation laws and how, nope, certain things have to be packaged up and given to certain people and in certain ways. And it's, you know, it really is a, uh, distilled produced product that is handed and mass consumed. And we're lucky that we live in a world where that's available and that can even happen. Um, and capitalism has done an extraordinarily good job at serving that up and allowing people to do that. The people that are willing to say, now I'm, I'm going to take the crap. I'm going to make the sausage. I'm okay with how it's made. I'm okay with the risk, everything else. Um, but they, they really do kind of live in another world. Yeah. One of my favorite sayings, you mentioned all that stuff about it, it. One of my favorite sayings is, you know, I may not agree with what you are doing, or what you're saying, but I will defend to the end that you're right to do that. Right? Yes. So that's, that's one yes. of my favorite. And that, that comes from, from capitalism. You don't yes. get that in a socialist or communist or any other system. If you don't, if you don't speak the party line, if you don't agree with me, then you get banned and you yeah. don't, you're not allowed to speak or you get thrown in jail. That's what political prisoners are. So the, the notion that, you know, you are free to within limits, unfortunately, but yeah. you know, we're not completely yeah. free, but yeah. to the extent of compared to everybody else, you, you yeah. get the chance to say something and, and you, you got that right. And I might, again, I may not agree with you, but, um, you know, at least I'll, I'll I'll support your right to disagree with me. Exactly, and and that's you know, I was talking to somebody in Europe about this because they're like, you Americans are so crazy. You're always fighting. You guys don't agree with anything. And I'm like, you gotta understand that first of all, that's actually what makes us great. 
we fight. And the moment we stop is the moment we stop being Americans because we are able to. We are able to viciously fight in America. Um, in America, we are fighters. And also, we have totally different areas where we live in, right? Like your country, you all have to do the same thing. The United States is almost 50 countries mm -hmm, in one. 100%. They're totally different places, first of all. The, 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 the country is ginormous. People don't understand how big the United States is. Miami to Seattle to Chicago, like these are, I mean. Not only distances, but also culture. Like ultra, like if somebody this from, if you go to Miami, where was I the other day? Uh, oh, I was in New York. So I'm in New York, right? And I'm going, I'm, I'm, I was going to walk and then I end up taking a cat, one of the Ubers down there and I go to visit a, a colleague of mine's office and it's a completely different vibe, yeah. uh, culture than Miami or Los Angeles or Louisiana. Yep. I mean, it's like a different country and I, I'm sitting there and I'm like, how do, how do people live here, right? And, yeah. and, there's, yeah. and people in New York are probably like, how do you not yeah, live here? Exactly. How do you live in LA or live yes. in Miami? And I'm the complaint, I'm like, how do you guys live here? And I've, you know, I've had the... I think the privilege, and I think it's been a great um, thing for me and, and my kids too. I've lived in four different countries, right? So I, I was born in South America and Chile, spent a lot of my childhood in England and Europe, obviously here in the US. Then I lived in, in a little island in Belize for a couple of years, which has been fun. So you, you get to experience all those different things, which I think is, is, is great because it opens your eyes to, to all the other different cultures. But uh, even within the US, I mean, I come back to from, from other countries and you, you just, just the airport itself, you get that cult, people call it the culture shock. But um, it's just fascinating to me. And even even within, even here in California, it's yeah. almost like, you know, the difference between, you know, where I live, which is sort of south, south, south California, San yep. Diego, Orange County versus Los Angeles or San Francisco. I mean, those are, oh, geez. You know, I joke all the yeah. time that people say you're from California. And I kind of joke, yeah, you know, if you, if you live north of Santa Barbara, that's, that's not really California. It's not really California. California <laughs> really starts Santa Barbara south. <laughs> yeah. Because it, like San Francisco is completely yeah. different than completely Huntington Beach. Completely different. Like, completely different yeah. so i flew in from boise to la and was like okay different world right then come down into orange county different world it, it and um that is the richness though of first of all the united states is that we are so different we're a ginormous melting pot that's we're all mutts and that's how you know the united states is our culture is that we will tear anything to bits and you know and and fight everything else over it but that's that's what makes it good because we we have the foundation where we can but that's what comes with the good and the bad meaning that you don't if you get freedom you fight like cats and dogs there's no two ways about it if you have real freedom to speech you're going to hear things that first of all you may not want to hear the government may not want you to say um there's it, it's you, you don't just get an end served perfectly packaged thing and the we've done a really good job at fighting our way to progress and that's you know something that in capitalism not just like in the united states but all over the world when you adopt a system like that you've got to have those things that you open a book to another world so there's a whole nother rule book we were talking about this when it came, came to like investing capital earlier while we were sitting here, that when you walk into this idea of I'm going to manage money or I want to be an entrepreneur, everybody wants to know, okay, how is it done, right? Or what should I do? And the answer is, what do you want to do? This isn't a bank. 
They don't hand you a term sheet and say, sign here and this is what you get. No, you're now negotiating with multiple parties. I want a million dollars to do this. I want to go do this. I'm going to build this. I could lose all your money. And, and then, that's the beauty of it though. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of it. You have that, that, that ability exactly. to do all that stuff. Yeah. And so it, you, you got to figure it out. You, you got to be actual problem solvers, right? And you, entrepreneurship is, that's it. That's literally, I tell people, I'm like, I wake up two problems and I'm like, oh, that must suck. And I'm like, no, that's my job. That's what I want to do. You want I, bigger I'm here problems. To solve you problems. want bigger, I want bigger problems. problems. Exactly. Yeah. And the moment that I can't figure things out or solve problems or get people that can solve problems and everything is the moment I need to stop. And that's, that's all, that's your job. All you're doing is trying to solve problems for other people because you're serving the marketplace and you're, there's company, you have employees, employees have issues. It, it's just, you know, but that's the fun of it is that it isn't simple and, and perfectly distilled. But I think it's a shock to a lot of people. And I think they move into a world of entrepreneurship. They move into a, we were just had a, a meeting with um, uh, the guys that run the Disney's funds and, and all their money and everything. And we, it was so interesting talking to them and uh, just listening to them and we talk about you know being in this game of of private equity right and venture capital and you know he was like yeah people just can't cut this game they just can't cut it it's it's hard and the reason it's hard is because there is no set way everything's always changing markets are always changing they go up they go down and when it when it zigs you gotta zag there's just no two ways about it and you know that's why like we come and we come to you guys and say, all right, guys, I got this problem and I right. got to solve this. What legally can I do here? Right. And then if I do this, am I going to get in trouble with the law? If I do this, you know, right. it, but it's just, and then you guys say, here's your options, right? right? And yeah, okay, you want to do that? Well, I'll show you how to do it without getting into trouble. Yeah, that's, that's, one, what of, that's one of my favorite things. You know, a lot of, especially in our industry, you know, a lot of attorneys have, a, I think, a bad, not a bad rap, maybe a well-deserved rap, but definitely a rap of, of killing deals or telling their clients can't do this and can't do that. And to your point, I, I like asking better questions, right? If you, if you want better answers, you just got to ask better questions. And so the question should be, how do you do this? Not you can do this, you can't do that, but how can you do it? What are the things that we can do in order to accomplish your ultimate yes. outcome? Um, because telling you can't do this, can't do that, that's... That's one level of thinking, but if you just change, I think you're thinking and changing your vocabulary, like how can I do this? It just opens your brain up and it starts getting those neurons going like trying to, to trying to solve problems because you have a problem, right? You come to us, you have a problem. We're trying to fix the problem, not tell you that all your other potential solutions don't work. We're trying to figure out how do we solve that problem that you're, you know, and I think, and I think to, to your point in your meeting with your private equity groups, you know, it's probably going to be interesting that those private equity groups that you meet with that are willing to collaborate and think that way, you guys will end up doing business versus other groups that are like, no, 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 this is the way this it's going to be. You're not going to end up doing that business that way because you know, entrepreneurship is, is, is a relationship, as we know, is a relationship business. So the more that you can collaborate and try and figure out, okay, how can I add value to you and you can add value to me and we can then figure out what's in my best interest and your best interest, as Jim Rohn used to call it, enlightened best interest, right? Yeah. Like what's in yes. your enlightened best interest. Then, then that's how you're going to do business together. That's how you're going to create value, not only for yourselves, but for your investors and your community and, and everybody else, well, employees. I, I literally look at it like with people like you or even like my CPAs people. I'm like, the, these are the gatekeepers to help me work with the government to create um, the economy. Because a lot of people think, once again, that it's, no, here's the tax code works like this. You have to pay a tax. 
first of all, 90% of the tax code has nothing to do with paying taxes at all. That's not, that, that has nothing I think, to do. I think it's like 40 or 80 pages out of 7,000 has to do about how to pay tax. Everything else is a roadmap of how to. What to do. Yeah. And what you can do and what are the options, right? That's legally too. I think people think, no, you, you invested in that. You missed money. That's against the law. So I mean, people are, that's going to, hey, well, that's not how the law works though. It, it, it's a basically it, the roadmaps to say when you are doing these things and creating a future, here's realms that you have to do. And then there's if and statements, right? But it is not simple. And that's why though it works. And that's why it's good. If it was simple, you'd be constrained and you couldn't create. Here's something, for example, is a good, good example here uh, of, of trying to figure out how to do something, right? So as you're aware, because you, you deal with a lot of accredited investors, the government has put in some limitations in terms of who can invest in certain investments, right? You've got to have a certain net worth or a certain income thing. Um, and so everybody says, well, I can't invest because I'm not an accredited investor. I don't have the income I don't have worth. But there's a way to do it. There's a path that you can actually get to becoming an accredited investor irregardless of your income and net worth. And you know, we've tried to figure that path out and I think we've gotten there. So now we're trying to create value to investors who are non-accredited, who are going to be able to now invest in projects that are accredited, and obviously entrepreneurs who would love to help more investors, but they're limited because the government tells them you can't take their money. Well, now they can because there are paths, and it's just being able to think that way and not just say, well, I'm sorry, you just don't have the net worth. You're not, you're not going to be eligible. Like, how can we make you eligible? What are the, what are, we're using the legal tools that we have at our disposal that we know really well. What can we do to find that path? And sometimes it's, it's you're threading that needle, but yeah. as long as you're comfortable and know what it is, Let's find the path to make sure we're adding value not only to our clients, but also their clients, really, which are their investors. And so by helping their investors, we're by de facto helping investors, uh, helping the clients. And so just, just again, just looking at problems in a different way yeah. and couching it as, how do I do this how versus I can't do this? Yes. And two, a perfect example of that also is fund funds, which is a very interesting thing that people say, okay, first of all, um, I want to be an investor. I don't have a lot of money, but um, um, maybe I'm a credit investor. Maybe I'm not. And all of a sudden, well, did you know you can just go with other people, pull your money together, and now you have an investment company. And if you can solve their problem, meaning I know places and people where we can put money together, which means you don't even have to do it. And all of a sudden, you have an investment company. And it blows people's mind. They're like, wait, you mean I can just go get my rich uncle to give me money and then I can go get his buddy and I can go meet somebody on the golf course and I can say, hey guys, I, I've got these opportunities and they can put money together and we can invest. I don't even have to do it. And it, yeah. And it blows people's mind. I mean, and, and there's another little avenue there that you know, people who ordinarily wouldn't be able to invest in certain deals because they're non-accredited by setting up the structure and becoming the fund manager de facto they become accredited not because of their income or net worth is because they're the manager, the of, manager this fund. of the fund manager of this exactly. fund qualifies you as an accredited so you on your own may not be yes. able to invest in certain deals but if you go out there and add value to other people where you're pooling resources you know again you know we talk about obviously syndications and people think about syndications as it's a way to pool money but it's really about pooling resources, right? So you can pool money, but you can also pool time, you can pool credit, you can pool relationship, you can pool knowledge. And so you as an individual, you may not have the capital to become an accredited investor, but you may have time, you may have the knowledge, you may be willing to spend a weekend at a seminar learning about something, you may have the relationships or the credit. And so by having those things, you can actually get what you want because you're, you're helping all these other people and you can become accredited just by putting that together. And again, people just don't know that. They just assume, well, I can't do it because I'm not, I can't invest in this person's in deal because I'm not accredited. But 
you can't just create your own fund, to your point, fund of funds, be the fund manager, and de facto, you're going to be an accredited investor in that fund. The Going down the road of just saying it's either a simple yes or no, all of a sudden you just barred yeah. yourself from all these you're opportunities. Limiting, it's a limiting belief. When, you know, as an entrepreneur, I have my time, the vast majority of my time is simply going in, I meet with the experts, the people that are doing it. So I may go in and have a meeting with our property management company, our, um, our investor relations, our acquisitions team, right? In a week and I line it up and then they're going over it. This is what we're doing. Here are the problems that we have. And I'm like, okay, let me, let me jump on this. Let me figure the solution out, right? And then I go and I'm trying to find solutions to the people that I employ so they can do their job, do it better, right? That's literally my job. I'm trying to help them excel and do more. But there's not answers. And two, though, people think, well, I have to know those answers. I don't know those answers. How can I know an answer that is first now appearing that no one even knew it was in existence because we created the thing that is now causing the problem that didn't exist. But I have to be able to, first of all, say, all right, I can call you up and say, hey, I got a legal one. I have a CPA, right? I can sit down. I start networking. It's one of the reasons I travel a lot, right? I'm down here. I'm talking to capital guys. I'm talking to our um, our uh, software company. I'm down there meeting with them. What, what problems do we have? That's all I spend all my time doing literally all my time. Then I'm talking to other people, whether it's on the podcast, social media, everything, this is how to solve problems and that value and showing people and figuring out and putting pieces together, um, has huge amounts of value. Uh, the reason being is once again, most people are just accepting a distilled version of everything and they don't even want to go a little deeper. 10% more, ask 10% more questions. And, and you're gonna find answers, you're gonna do. And the better you are at that, the better you get at creating, whether you're, but you're not doing it. You don't have to do it, isn't it? Exactly. I, I, I wish I knew this for certain, so you're gonna tell me yes, but it wasn't Henry Ford, right? Henry Ford, right? Ford Motor Companies, revolutionized stuff. He didn't know anything. He had a phone, right, and a Rolodex, and so if he needed the answer to this question, he'd pick up the phone and he'd call his chief engineer. If he needed a question to that, he'd call his accountant. And, and so I think people are thinking he wasn't, he wasn't super intelligent or maybe he was going a little senile, but it's like because he didn't know anything and he was going to lose control of his company, but in fact, he, he had all that information at his disposal. You don't have to know the information yourself. You just need to be able to find the relationships and, and, and be able to find the answer, not necessarily have to do... I think it's one of the biggest... I think it's one of the biggest mistakes that most you know entrepreneurs who are just starting out they, they feel like they need to do everything themselves like yes. if they're not doing it themselves then they're not doing that's how it's supposed to be when in reality i think there was a saying that uh, you know if you want to be rich you know be lazy but if you want to be wealthy be incompetent yeah. because if you're incompetent that means you can't step in and do the work you're gonna have to go find somebody to go do that work you know if you own a restaurant for example and uh, you know your cook decides to quit you're not going to jump in there and start cooking for the restaurant, right? You're going to be like, crap, I got a problem. Let me go find the next chef to go so I can open my restaurant tomorrow. But I think too, a lot of times, a lot of entrepreneurs want to jump in and be the chef. They and think do they, all need stuff. They, need, they need to do it. They think stuff. that's where their value is because they were getting paid to do the thing. So if they're not doing it, they shouldn't be getting paid. That's once again, not though true. That's not how it works. And when you're a leader, that's definitely not how it works. You know, I say the best thing that probably ever happened to me was being humiliated and humbled by the fact that I couldn't even bathe myself. And I had to sit there and be rolled over to my side as people scrubbed me down. I, as I literally went to the bathroom in my bed, I couldn't move, I was paralyzed, right? And I'm just like, there's just no coming back from that. It's like, okay, humility, 
like all pride is just gone, you know? So you probably and don't the, give a, a rat's ass about what other people think right now. No, not really. Yeah. I mean, I used to be way better at it, but you know, <laughs> creep back and I got to do it. But that's actually why I got social media podcasts. That's the only reason I started doing it. And I, cause I think prior to that, I would have been too nervous. What I'm going to say something wrong. What are people going to think? I don't even care anymore. It's just like, listen, I know I'm going to be wrong. And if you're going to judge me off being wrong, then guess what? That you're, you're the problem, right? The fact that I know that I'm going to be wrong and I'm moving forward and I'm trying to get people to answer things. That's actually how it works. That's how you succeed. If I had to be right at everything I thought, everything that I said, I would never learn anything. Nobody would ever work with me. And I wouldn't, like you said, I think that I was competent, even though I'm not. That's, right. that's the danger. Right. It's people think Thinking, yeah. that they, they're competent. They right. think that they know. And so they're so They think careful. nobody else can do it better than they can. Exactly. And that is just a nuclear bomb to progress and success. And uh, the moment I started getting out of my own way was the moment we started to actually have success break. Because I, I, I do. Like, I, I get frustrated. I'm like, I'll do it myself. And then that moment I say that, I'm like, I failed. First of all, I failed because I'm having to do it. So that first and foremost means it means I failed. And also that I don't have a solution. It just means I got to do it. That's the lazy way. Right. If right. you have to jump in and do it, yeah. that is 100% the lazy right. way to do it. That's the easiest. That's the simplest version. It is the non-scalable version. It is the not solution. It's a Band-Aid, right? And so I immediately think I, I failed. Because if I, once again get paralyzed again or whatnot, nobody's there to do the thing. And that, that switch is hard because I, we all go back into it. We all get self-conscious again. We all get nervous. Nobody likes to be called out when they fail or when they do something stupid, right? Everyone's human. That sucks. Nobody likes to go through those things. Um, but that's actually what makes great. You look at all the great entrepreneurs. Everybody, oh yeah, they were really great. But did you know that they said this? Like, look at any scientist, right? You look at Newton. It was, was it Newton or which one of the great scientists that ended up dying because of the mercury because they were trying to turn lead into gold? And these were the people that figured out the celestial bodies orbited around it. They got so much right and they died because of the things that they got wrong. That doesn't mean that what they got right wasn't incredible, impactful, and correct. And the reason they got things wrong was also the reason they got things right. It's hard. How do you, how do you make that jump, right? If you're somebody who keeps falling into that trap and jumping in and like, how did you get past that? I mean, what, what needed to happen for you to get past that? Is it something you learned? Did people, mentors, like how does that, how do you think that? I, I think first of all, um, I am very fortunate and was blessed because I was stupid. So, you know, growing up dyslexic kid at ADHD, I learned very early on that, uh, there's things I can't do and I got to ask for help. And that's something I'm just going to be called out. I, I was not some smart kid that all of a sudden was perfect that peaked in high school. Right. That was like more the low part, right? You know, I just, I didn't, I wasn't blessed with that. So, um, for me, that was, uh, I, I think just getting punched in the face repeatedly is the best way to do it. And the problem is though, when most people get embarrassed, when they say something stupid, when they do something on social media, they immediately stop. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Over, done. Right. I was called out. Right. I was wrong. Right. And what what a what a burden to think that you have to be perfect all the right. time. You just gotta what is what's the saying? Fall down seven times and get up eight. Yeah. I mean you gotta keep going, right? Exactly. I mean you're an attorney. You're like you're the 
this has to be right. This has to be done. How do you, that is a total thing. Cause I rely on you to be like, no, you have to be right. I could be wrong. It's your job to be right. How do you work through that? How do you do it? How do you help clients work through that? Well, for, for me personally, I mean, I've, you know, I've surrounded myself with an amazing team first and foremost. So that's, that's been a huge change for me. And that's something that's, I think has taken us to the next level, but I think also experience. I mean, you know, when you're doing this for 23, 24 years and we're such in a, in a niche area, there's only so much body of law that we're looking at. It's not like I'm looking at, you know, a thousand things. We're looking at three or four things. And when you're doing it this long and, and when you're someone like me who does put out a lot of content, like I'm constantly talking about it, I'm constantly researching. And so you get to a point where, you don't have to go look up stuff, right? You don't have to, you've got everything in the, in the back of your brain. I don't have to, literally, I haven't looked at a, I haven't been to a library, who knows when, but, and I'm, I don't need to Google it or anything. And so it, that becomes fun because then you get to focus on strategy. Like, again, asking the right questions. How do we do this? Because knowing, when you know the letter of the law, what it looks like, then you have the freedom to kind of try and look for solutions, right? I can ask the questions, how about this? If I didn't know the law, I would be like, I don't know if we can do that, right? If, if we do it this, is that going to be okay? I know that, hey, we could do it this way. And you'd be like, yeah, but then that doesn't work for me because of this reason. Okay, well, what about this way? What about that way? And because I have, you know, again, I think I'm going to chalk it up to team and experience because when you're doing it this long, you get to a point where it's almost, I, I don't want to, it sounds a little bit arrogant where you kind of have like this encyclopedic knowledge, but it's just, it's just, it's just not that many rules yeah. and regulations that we're dealing with. Well, so that, at some point, I just know focus. them all. Yeah. Right. You, you, and... I guess this is a really key point that I didn't think about until I was thinking about it. You're, you're, you're really good at one thing right. and that allows you to be bad at other things and get people that are better. Like me, I am really good at something that is really dumb, right? <laughs> like storage doors, whoever thought that would be even remotely interesting, right? And it was like, no, I got really good at that. And then from there, I could get better at other things, but I could also, you know, bring people in. And I, I, I think that's actually a good takeaway for people that I'm thinking about you're really good at this. You can solve problems for other other things. But two, that you becoming really good at that, like you said, that that was time. Mm -hmm. So um, and, same and dedication me, and hard work and hard all that work stuff. Yeah, and time because you've got to go through the you got to go through the reps. You've you got to put in the reps. So now for you, those reps are second nature. Oh, right. That's why you don't need to go look it up. Anything. You're like, I've been through this. It's this is I, I understand. In two, it's really in depth. Like law, you know, it's okay to like health it's kind of a practice right in theory this works like this right. and so when you've seen though that in practice you say okay you understand the realms better all right i understand what the court system thinks about this i understand how this works within this process that allows you to give better advice now because you can say hey i've seen this play out and i can tell you what they'll do and what they won't or what they generally accept so then you know where to be lenient, where to say, you can go further here, you can't hear, right? right? right. Um, and that, that niche focus and expertise, that actually weirdly allows you to go much more broad. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Uh, and I had a thought and I lost it, but... <laughs> I mean, it's very, it's, I mean, hard to think of what you do as niche though, for me, because it seems so... Yeah, but I mean, you know, it is a very specialized area. I mean, even within, I mean, we are technically, we, we are securities attorneys, right? But even within a securities attorney, there's, a, a, you know, hundreds of different things you could do, right? We, you could be going, you know, helping companies go public, which we don't do. You can help, uh, you know, there's, there's a myriad of things we do. We literally focus on helping 
clients raise capital and the do's and don'ts of raising capital and there's different rules and regulations about that. But um, it's been fun because it's like, I remember the, the, the beginning days, it's like you'd ask, you know, a client would ask a question. I'm like, oh God, I don't know, I got to go look it up and I'd get you the answer. But then you're focused on the task-based things where you're just asking for, for a question and I'm going to answer it. Strategy is so much more fun. And that's really yeah. what clients ultimately want. I mean, at the end of the day, when you're coming to us, you're looking for a particular outcome, right? You, yeah. you don't really care how it's done or yeah. you, you want to know how do we do it. And then it's our job to figure out how to do it, not like, well, this is what the law says. I, mean, I understand what the law says, but how can I do it? It's one of the things that I switched a lot when I was look at, w- working at a law firm. When I was working at the law firm, it was more about, well, here's the law and, and here's how it works. When I went in-house for a real estate company now in my own firm, you, you, it's a little bit different. You actually you, you let the client know, here are your options. right? You can do it this way, this way, this way, this way, and then the client has to make a business decision at that point. Like, this is... The, I'm not going to make the decision for you, but here are your four or five options that you could follow in order to get your outcome. So we figure out what your outcome, what you're trying to accomplish. Let's figure out the three or four ways you can do it. And then based on your needs and what you want to do, you can say, well, I like this option because this other option, I'd have to do this and I don't want to do that. Or I, I can't do this other thing, which I want to do. So anyway, I think it's just, um, it's just, it's become really fun at this stage because just knowing it's the same for you, right? I mean, yeah. you've been in self storage for so long that you, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to yeah. go research and you, you just know it. Yeah. Right. And, and, and you get to that point where it's almost intuitive. Yeah. Like you see a deal, you don't have to go through a checklist of things yeah. and you don't have to like look at, Oh, let me do No. You can just look at it yep. and in like three seconds be like, yeah, forget this. Or, yeah. Oh yeah, this is worth a deeper yeah. look because of your vast experience. It's not, it's not a, a checklist or a check the box thing. And I think, you know, it comes back down to what you were just explaining. It reminds me again to, you know, people want simple answers to people want simple answers in life where answers don't exist. Meaning that people say, well, what should I pay for this? And I always talk about, well, it's not a price tag, meaning that you have a range, maybe a value that depending on the person, things like that, then within that, based upon what they want and what you're willing to pay and what the market will allow. So I always look at it as I have a range of acceptable value. The price needs to end up in there and whether it ends to the high point or the low point, here's my acceptable thing. So we're coming together to try to see where I can push that, but here's my range. And it, But there's not... It's not there's like, no, a, and you, yeah, there's no real thing. And, and I, I never look at like, I, I hate when people just focus exclusively on, on the price of something. Right? Yeah. There's a great, and I always butcher this quote, but there, Brian Tracy has a great quote, which says something along the lines of, you know, the pleasure of low price will always be outweighed by the pain of low quality. Yeah. And yes. it's such a great quote because people want to buy the cheapest thing. And it yes. turns out you, you, you can't assume that the, these two items that you're looking at, whether it's a product, a service, yeah. an investment, that just because they're different prices, that it's the same thing. And so this, this is cheaper. From a value perspective, it could be 10 times more expensive, even though, you're, even though you're paying a lower price. Yeah, that's especially true when talking about doctors, attorneys, and CPAs. Um, <laughs> there tends to be, there's some things in life that have a pretty good correlation right. with quality. Um, and yeah. information tends to be one of them whether that's investment information or anything else because uh, the demand is so high. Um, now, jeez, uh, we've been talking already for an hour. we got to like end, end this thing because uh, me and you, funny enough, are going on to our uh, <laughs> next podcast, which is the Drunk Real Estate Drunk Podcast. Real estate. So everybody needs, needs to go on that and they can, uh, can listen to that. Uh, I have a million things more that I want to talk to you about, but um, we'll, we'll obviously have you back on because there, there's so much to go over. We, well, we got to do it in like Idaho. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, uh, I'm down here in Southern California. We got to do it do it in Idaho next time. We'll go we'll go skiing. But um, where can people first of all get a hold of you? Where should we send people? We'll put it in the show notes, everybody. But 
Um, yeah, I, I've got a LinkedIn is where I spend most of my time. I, mm -hmm. I put a lot of content out on LinkedIn, and then uh, I've got a community called the Real Estate Syndicator Community, and somebody can go to realestatesyndicatorlive.com, and of course Premier Law Group, premierlawgroup.net. Uh, you can just check us out there. Perfect. Thanks, man. Thanks, Appreciate buddy. it. Good to see you. Welcome to Saving Capitalism. I am your host, AJ Osborne. I'm here in Southern California, sunny Southern California.